I mean, I was actually speaking to one artist yesterday about um, uh, about doing a commission for Aquila 3, which is currently on Kickstarter as one of the stretch goals. And the artist came back to me and kind of gave me these ideas. And I said, run with those ideas and I'm going to kind of change the writing a little bit to kind of match to match your work. And that's that's actually how I enjoy sort of art directing. Hi, welcome to the Daiku Podcast. I am Gary Snow, and joining me is Vasily Kalman, uh, who is the uh, designer of Singing Flame brand and all the interesting games that come along with this, which is uh, Quailis and Xanadu and Dungeon and Nightland, which we're all going to talk about shortly. But uh, first of all, Vasily, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. It's, uh, it's great to be here. And, uh, you know, we talked a little bit before we started the show that uh, since 2020, uh, when I first actually discovered you um, with Xanadu, that was my first introduction to you. And I saw that on Questing Beast. And uh, you've really kind of been very prolific in the short time that you've produced like a lot of these games that I just showed. But uh, I, I, I'm interested to know your journey on how you got to this point. Um. I can talk a bit about my gaming history. Uh, I started playing when I was I, I started playing when I was in high school when I was about thirteen, and uh, I think they're about. I I grew up in Australia, so um, so I, I I don't think D and D was like widely available. I remember it being very expensive, you know. So what wasn't something that sort of every kid could own, but um but I started playing in high school, and there was probably two other people in the entire school that played. And I think that lasted for, for about four years uh, or five years. And then, um, and then I took a, a huge sort of break as I became an adult. And, um, and then I got back into it probably in about 2000 and, ooh, it would have been about 2015, 2016. And I came back into it through Dungeon Crawl Classics. Um, and I moved to New York from Australia in 2016. And I found a group here, a DCC group. And, um, and that kind of got me back, you know, really into gaming. I mean, I, I sort of learned about the OSR. I was, I was a bit late for things like Google Plus because everyone talks about the Google yeah. Plus days and I was quite, quite late for that. But, you know, you know basically uh, just got me back. I thought, oh, this is kind of cool. You know, this is, uh, this is pretty amazing. Like, uh, you know, people playing with these really simple rules. And, um, and, um, and that was my kind of... Uh, I mean, I mean, that was my trajectory. And, um, and when I played, uh, I, I was always kind of writing as well. I was just like writing stuff, like writing down ideas or writing down, you know, scenes or just, just, just weird kind of stuff. And, um, and when the COVID lockdowns happened uh, in, I think it was March of 220, <clears throat> uh, you know, the kind of day job I was doing kind of like kind of just froze still um and um and i started writing aquilus really just to, to to have somewhere to put a whole bunch of these ideas that i'd come up with over the last you know few years before so 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 that's how the whole thing kind of started and you mentioned dcc and uh just can you kind of elaborate because i mean i really love dcc for mm. a variety of reasons but i just kind of want to ask you what what's your take on why it kind of resonated with you 
Well, I think what really resonated with me about DCC was the art in the uh, in the core rulebook. So when, when I actually bought it, um, I think what attracted me to buy it in the first place was the art. Um, I just looked at all that black and white kind of sword and sorcery kind of stuff. And I thought, wow, this is like some really good art in here. And, um, and, and the things that were kind of available at the time when I was going into gaming stores, um, especially coming to New York, you know, because there are a few gaming stores, I, I used to see all that very sort of polished kind of 5e art. And I, I just never really connected with that kind of work, you know. Um, I, I, I just never really connected with that kind of, you know, digital painting. I mean, I respect it, but it just never never kind of spoke to me. And when I saw the DCC book kind of all in black and white, I, I, I sort of bought it and I thought, I'm, I'm going to buy this because of the art, because the art's sort of really great in it. And um, and there was just, I, I don't know, I think, I, I think that that's what really kind of, you know, that, that's what I really connected with. I mean, I had no idea that it came from 3.5. I mean, I never never played 3.5. I stopped at 1E, AD&D AD &D 1E. But there was just something to it. There was just a grit to it. You know, there, there was just a grit and, you know, there was something kind of dirty about it. And I, I just really loved, you know, the the tone of the rule book. And then I found, uh, what did I do? I, I, I downloaded an app called Meetup. Um, and I found that there was actually a DCC group in, 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 in Brooklyn, which I joined for kind of many years. And we played, you know, you know, for several years, we'd play every Sunday and it was just a, just a fantastic kind of segue back into gaming. And, um, I, I, I haven't played for, for a while. I haven't played DCC for, for a couple of years now, but, but it's kind of a re-entry into the hobby. I mean, it just kind of was something that was, uh, and I think, you know, fr from what I've seen, I go to a lot of cons um, and I think that that is the case with people my age mm -hmm. who've kind of stopped gaming, who, who, who were gaming when, when they were young and kind of stopped because of, you know, life responsibilities and jobs and families and things like that. That when they get back into their game, when they get back into gaming, DCC seems to have been like a, a common entry re-entry point back into it. And uh, it, it, even though the rules aren't sort of like D&D, &D, but it just seems to be that there's just a tone that it's captured, which I think uh, speaks of what we loved about D&D &D as teenagers, you know? Yeah, I totally and, agree. Uh, and, and, and I really think that that is... Uh, you know, that's, that's, I think that's very common because, you know, a lot of the people that play DCC who I see at cons are, you know, kind of like my age as well. So I think, you know, really young people play, but it seems to be this, seems to be people that kind of played in the eighties, you know, and then they, they get back into it. It's just captured something, you know, it's just captured something. Yeah, I totally agree. It's just got that right vibe and it just it's, has that it's right got the vibe. Feel. Yeah. And, it's, uh, it's got it's got the vibe and the feel and I and I think they base it you know they you know they have the whole kind of appendix and thing sort of you know that's kind of you know that's that's the kind of halo that they wrap wrap it up in but I I think they've done a great job and even though I don't play it much anymore I still buy all their products and I still actually really enjoy reading them I mean the adventures I feel are very uh, are much harder to run than say what OSC's done with, uh, you know, with, with, with kind of, um, you know, you know, with the writing style of their adventures, but I still like really enjoy reading DCC adventures, you know, for, 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 for let's say for the pros, let's say for the writing, I, I actually still enjoy cracking them open and reading them like RPG metafiction, if you like. Uh, so, 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 so I'm still a big supporter of the system in that sense. 
Yeah, I uh, I'm a great admirer of the community that they've built in DCC. Oh, and amazing. You it's like amazing. At, at Gen Con, I, I know they take up half a football field with just the games themselves. And if you go to their booth, they have all the old Appendix N um, no, no, novels and novellas in like one of those spin racks. Oh it, yeah, it has yeah. that kind of. I've seen that. Nice, nice feel to uh, like the community and. Uh, well, I mean, all credit to them. I mean, I think in terms of community building, I think out of all, all of the sort of, say, OSR publishers, I mean, they've probably done the best job because, uh, I mean, it's the same. Like when, when you go to any con, like I go to GaryCon, for example, which, you know, I'm, I'm going to next month. And, um, and I mean, the amount of DCC games that, that are run there is just extraordinary. I mean, you know, I, I looked at the schedule a couple of days ago and it's like DCC, DCC. But... I'll tell you what the secret is. I think I've figured out what the secret is of why DCC is so successful at cons because a lot of their adventures are written to be run in four hours. Yeah. That's kind of the secret, I think. Like, like, like I mean, nearly all of their adventures are kind of designed to be uh, one-shots and they just have great pacing, you know? Yeah. And that's kind of what they're designed to do. Like, uh, I mean, most of the adventures that I played in my group, um, in my Brooklyn group for, for years were kind of one shots. And I think we exhausted the entire official line pretty quickly. And then we moved on to all the third party stuff. But we found that that's what worked for us. You know, what worked for us is running an adventure in four hours. And I think why it works as cons at con so well is that you can run the entire adventure from start to the climax in four hours, which is which is typically what a what a, what a con game runs at, and I think that that is just part of the secret sauce as to as to <laughs> why they've become so successful on the con circuit and why they've built up such a community. Yeah, I I agree with all those things, and also just fun. Uh, I think you know if they're great commit, fun. If you're going to commit to four hours at a con, you want to have fun, and the system itself and the way it's structured. And the adventures are just fun and you know there's a time and place for fun and there's a time and place for seriousness and all in there's a wide array array of gaming styles but uh dcc really nails that you know you're here for four hours and it's going to be fun you're there for four hours and you want everything that can happen in an rpg adventure to happen so you know you want a trap you know you want sort of you know you want um a, a super deadly boss monster that you can't kill you want a crazy magic item you want you know just just stuff that 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 you know you want the tropes yeah. and i think dcc provides all of those kinds of sword and sorcery tropes um you know which are really i think um you know i mean they're in the popular cultural consciousness those things you know i mean that's why we resonate with them because you know they're played out in all kinds of things all kinds of stories and films and i think dcc knows how to capture a little bit of that in every adventure so in every adventure you're going to get you know a good half a dozen sort of moments that are kind of like oh you know playing rpgs is fun and i think that that's what they give you and they're very good at it they're very very good at it well, enough pumping the tires of DCC. Let's get on to pumping your tires because you're doing some really, right. uh, you're doing Thanks. some really good work. Um, and like I mentioned, we've got I've got all your zines here, and uh, I am jealous of you because during lockdown for me, my job for what I do, which is corporate communications and that kind of stuff, I actually got busier. So I was like jealous of everybody else being able to kind of work. I, I'm sure at the time it didn't feel like a good thing for people to be uh, laid off or slowed down, but um, 
for me, I was very jealous. And but you turned that time into some really good stuff. And thanks. The singing flame, the brand itself, like how did, did you always have that in the back of your mind? Because I mean, to me, that the logo is awesome. Like it just encapsulates so much of the weird science fantasy. Um, and like, how did how did you go? Okay, this is what I'm going to do. Um, I, I I I'd always thought of the name. Uh, I'd I'd always uh, the the name Singing Flame comes from a Clark Ashton Smith story called City of the Singing Flame. Um, so so that's where that's where I sort okay. of borrowed that from. And and I think I I like to write down names of things. Um, I mean, I have literally like hundreds, if not thousands, of like names of things written down because I think I think names of I think uh, names embody so much, you know, um, and sometimes, a, a, you know, a title of something can be the entire springboard for what it becomes. Like Nightland, the name came first. And because of that, you know, uh, that's where the setting came out of. And I think Singing Flame was kind of the same. It, it, it just seemed like, you know, it just seemed like such a counterintuitive you know, you, you put the words together and it's just so kind of counterintuitive, like flames that kind of yeah. sing. And um, so, so that's where that came from. And I'm not sure what I was going to do with that name when I, when I first came up with it. I thought, oh, maybe that's a good name for an adventure, like the Singing Flames or something like that. And I think, well, that's, that's kind of a good image. Maybe that can become some sort of adventure. But it just ended up becoming the name of the publishing imprint. And I had a very good artist called Benjamin Mara design that logo who's um you know who's a who, who's a fantastic illustrator and you know he's he's done things for rpgs and he's done his own comic books and i i've i've, I've collected his work I, I collected originals of his work original comic pages um kind of probably back in since about 2012 so we we've maintained you know a kind of connection you know on on social yeah. media mainly but yeah. we've maintained a connection for years and i commissioned him to do the logo and i think he kind of captured you know, really captured something, you know, what, what, when he did the logo, he, he kind of said like, you know, what were you looking for? And I said, well, I think I want something like the TSR wizard logo from the late seventies, you know, um, that TSR, you know, TSR has this logo and there's like some, some kind of wizard in there. And I think it would appear in dragon magazines or, you know, it would appear in ads that they did in other publications. And I think, well, that's kind of the vibe. Um, and then he, he sort of elaborated on it and did, you know, did those amazing flames with, uh, you know, with the typography and stuff. And I, I, I was really, really, really happy with it. I mean, I, I came up with a logo and it was, it was just pretty crap compared to what he came <laughs> up with, you know, it was, it was really awful, but he, he really, you know, just kind of captured something. And I thought, wow, I'm going to, I'm going to be really, really proud to use this on the books. This is so good. And I have to say, uh, I kind of jokingly mentioned I was creeping, creeping you a little bit more on social media in preparation for the interview. And uh, you have like a, a an affection for uh, art in general. And yes, you can see yes, behind you yes. uh, some of the really nice pieces that are on the wall there. As far as the art direction and uh, your history and, you know, it seems like you've been uh, connected into that for quite some time. Just talk to us about like how you approach the art piece, the the overall art design and art direction for all your games, because it's like pretty, it's modern and it's clean, but it also scratches that itch that we've talked about that vibe as well. How did, how did you kind of arrive at that? 
Well, I mean, that, that probably goes back a, a really long time. I mean, what, you know, I think the first thing, you know, amongst the first things that I was into aside from games were, were comic books, which I've, you know, maintained a lifelong kind of love for. And, um, and I've also loved black and white illustration for, for like a really, really long time, you know, I'm, you know, kind of since I was like a really young teenager. I mean, I used to love all that stuff, like, you know, the Bernie Wrightson and Richard Corbin and all of those artists that, you know, you know, drew for things like heavy metal magazine in the 19, in the 1980s. And then when I kind of, uh, you know, when I became an, an, an adult, uh, I mean, my, my career before coming to New York was that I, I was an art dealer for 15 years in Australia. So I had galleries and worked with contemporary artists, you know, probably not doing the kinds of things that I put in my books. They were doing, you know, a different, different kind of work, probably a bit like the work that you see behind me. They were doing, you know, kind of, I suppose, what you'd call very contemporary kind of work. But I always uh, had a love for, or maybe like a secret love for, you know, the things that spoke to me when I was young. You know, I still always had a secret love for like comics and, um, and role-playing game art. And so I think the things that, um, that I do now in terms of what uh, resonates with me uh, and, and, and how I go about it is that I, I tend to like, um, I mean, I tend to, I tend to gravitate towards artists who, uh, for example, work in black and white. That's, that, that's something that, uh, that, that, that really appeals to me. And also artists who primarily work with um, ink on paper that's just something that, you know, that's just something because there's just an ambience about that to me. There's just a, you know, there's just, there's just something about it. That's, you know, you know, there's just a warmth to it, which you can kind of feel when you actually see the work. So, um, and in terms of where it comes from, I mean, I think it really, I mean, the things that have always kind of stuck with me are, are of course, things like, uh, you know, the black and white art that you would see in, uh, say the AD&D 1E Dungeon Master's Guide and Players Handbook and the Moldvay Cook BX books. I mean, to me, they're like, they're like kind of the benchmark mm -hmm. of the kind of work that I like, you know, I mean, I like things that, I like things where, I mean, I suppose the kinds of, the kind of art that I'm looking for is I'm looking for work that's very sincere and it almost looks like an amateur who's pushing their abilities to the very limit. You know, I'm, I'm looking for that kind of love and sincerity in the work. So, so they're, they're the kinds of artists that I sort of am instinctively drawn to in terms of role-playing game art. And, um, and often what I tend to do as well in terms of say, you know, the art direction is sometimes I give the artist which is what I really like doing is sometimes I give the artist a very vague idea of what I'm looking for. And then I let the art then dictate the writing. Mm -hmm. I, I actually prefer to work that way. Yeah. I mean, but... I mean, I mean, I mean, you obviously have to give an artist some kind of parameter. I mean, you can't sort of say do anything because that's, that doesn't work. But if you give them limitations, if you can't, I mean, I was actually speaking to one artist yesterday about, um, uh, about doing a commission for Aquilus 3, which is currently on Kickstarter as one of the stretch goals. And the artist came back to me and kind of gave me these ideas. And I said, 
run with those ideas and I'm going to kind of change the writing a little bit to kind of match to match your work. And that's that's actually how I enjoy sort of art directing. I mean, I don't I, I don't really I mean, I mean, look, unless it's for a very specific kind of adventure where there's like a room and it has particular things in it and then the artist has to has to probably do it kind of correct, I suppose, you know, because otherwise it could impact the adventure. I mean, when it comes for things like, say, um, other things that I'm doing, especially for things like Nightland, which Andrew Walter did work for, I mean, he strongly influenced the writing. I actually enjoy working, I suppose, collaboratively with artists. And uh, I, I really love that part of it. I mean, that to me is the exciting part. I mean, the exciting part for me is like, is when I look at my email and there's a JPEG attached to, uh, to, to one of the messages that an artist has done. And when I actually crack that JPEG open, that's like, you know, that for me is like a very exciting moment because I think this will, you know, this, you know, I, I hope that this has an impact on the writing. And that's that's kind of what I'm looking for with artists. Yeah, and that's, they're, they're not there to just push buttons, right? Like I, I see that a lot where people are saying, here's the criteria, here's the briefing note. And it's so strict that they're unable to flex their creativity. And it's just at that yeah. point, you're telling them to push their buttons to make it right. Uh, but your approach is much more collaborative. And I think probably artists appreciate that a lot more. Uh, I think it also suits the, it, it also suits the kinds of things that I'm writing about um, because, you know, you know, so, so I feel that a lot of what I'm writing about, say with um, in terms of gaming, I mean, sometimes I write and I think, well, I don't even know if what I'm doing is actually playable, you know, but, it actually sometimes makes for good, you know, it, sometimes it makes for writing being accompanied by like really beautiful kind of fantasy imagery. And sometimes, you know, that, that can kind of be enough. So, but, but, but I, I'm not sure if that makes sense, but, but, but I do actually love, I, I, I love the collaboration. I'm actually looking for that. I'm actually looking for sparks, you know, from, from, from other people. And so far it's been, so far it's been artists. And that's probably similar to even just role playing in general is that collaborative storytelling process that uh, you that's why you play you don't know what you're going to get at the time it's just kind of a fun experiment. It is fun and to me I think one of the most uh, fun things about playing is uh, I mean I enjoy DMing a lot and um, I'm running a game at the moment and, uh, and, and, and and I mean last week we had a situation where just the most unexpected thing happened and and I thought yes what a great what a, what a what a great idea one of the players came up with you know you know what a what a fantastic scene that was you know yeah. and and that's 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 what you're looking for i think in in this hobby you know you you know you're looking for those moments um where you know the you know the story or the adventure takes on a life of its own because there's just something that sort of comes in there that uh that wouldn't have happened unless you were kind of doing it with other people cool and then we talked a little bit about it already but Achilles um, pr probably we're pronouncing that poorly I'm bad at that yeah it's Achilles or Aquilus <laughs> I've never I've never I, I don't have a it's I'll blame it on the Canadian accent what you should um, say yeah so when you when you were uh doing this during um the COVID lockdown uh did you anticipate it was going to be received well because obviously it's your career has kind of blossomed here um did you did you just do it to, you mentioned to, you wanted to do it but did you anticipate how well it was going to be received all of your work well uh i mean i mean no uh i mean the answer is no um 
I mean, I I had no idea. I mean, I had no idea of, you know, when I originally kind of did it, I, I had no idea of how I would even get it out there. I mean, I mean, I think, you know, I think I was following a lot of Facebook groups and I think, I think one of the pivot points, actually, I mean, there was a pivot point and, the, and one of the pivot point points were that um, I figured out from, you know, being on Facebook that you could actually print, you could print 50 copies of a zine somewhere and get really good quality printing. And I think I use Mixam, which is, which is a printing company that I, I know a lot of bookmakers and zine makers in the RPG hobby use. And I thought, well, if you get really high quality and you can, you only have to print 50 copies or a hundred copies, then that, that is a good sign, you know, of, of, of being at, you know, like, you know, you don't have to sort of commit thousands of dollars and print a thousand copies, you know, in, in, you know, so, and, and I think how, I think how I originally did it was, um, how did I do it? Uh, I think I just put things up on Facebook. Mm-hmm. That's what I did. I think I, I I think I did something like, look, I've made this scene, and I put a picture of the cover up on Facebook. I spent, you know, I spent quite a bit of time on on the cover because I thought, well, you know, the cover should be as as appealing as possible. So I spent a you know long time sort of you know with a typography and finding an image, and I used a public domain image of um, and a, a, a Redon painting. <clears throat> you know, it was a symbolist artist, you know, from the late nineteenth century. And I put it up on Facebook and, you know, I think people bought it on drive through RPG and I, I had a lot of good feedback, you know, people enjoyed, you know, the art and the design and all that kind of stuff. And then I think I contacted Exalted Funeral and sent them some images of the work and they, and, and they bought a bunch of copies. And I thought, oh, this is kind of exciting. You know, this is like a, this is like, you know, the, uh, you know, this is like the online store. And I thought that's, that's quite a big deal. And, um, and that's, you know, that's kind of how the whole thing started. It was just, you know, it was very kind of innocent, really not, not knowing what I was doing, knowing that I wanted to make something, but not really being familiar with how it kind of works in the RPG hobby. But, you know, having said that, I think most people who do this or make stuff like, like, like I do, it's, you know, they're probably going about it in a very similar way. I mean, they're probably just trying to, you know, put something up on social media in the hope that it gets some kind of traction or momentum. And they're sort of distributing images out there. They're, you know, they're, you know, maybe, uh, you know, starting up a Twitter account and with, a, with a modest online store and sort of putting their books up there. I mean, that's, that's kind of how this hobby works, I think, because I think most people that are doing it are, you know, are like one person shows. You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you know. I mean, there's no one, there's no one kind of doing, you know, that, you know, uh, I mean, I, you know, there's no one doing singing flame besides me (laughs) and and the artists, of course, but there's, but there's no, like, there's no like office with, you know, people in there and designers and things like that. And you're all, you're all kind of doing it on your own, basically, You, you know, you're doing your own promotion and your own kind of marketing, if you want to call it that. But, but, you know, I think, um, but, you know, uh, I, I, yeah, but that's that's how it kind of started, really. I was interviewing uh, Gabriel Caroga, uh, who did the um, uh, Warpland books and Hell Knight, and a uh, big fan of his, is you know obviously as well as yours. But um, 
he had mentioned that he kind of saw it like a punk rock band, you know, uh, early days, like in the town that there, there might be a show and there's probably four bands playing and the audience is primarily the other bands and the families of those bands. And it takes a while for maybe uh, somebody to kind of hit that critical mass where they kind of like evolve past those kind of shows to get bigger. Yeah. Well, I think that that's, yeah, well, I, I probably agree with Gabrielle that I think that initially your audience is other, uh, other makers, you know, that's who your audience is because someone, someone turns up and you kind of think, well, what, what's this, who's that? And that, that, that's who your, your other audience is. I, and I, I, I'd agree with that. And look, I think one of the keys is, um, which I think is difficult to do, is is you know you just have to keep on making stuff. Yeah, and, and that's not easy to do. Put it out there. That's not easy to do. Yeah, and and you just have to put it out there. You know, you just have to put it out there. And um, and I think just having uh, you know, just 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 making stuff is is kind of the key to it. You just have to you know, be productive. And and it's not always easy to be productive, you know, like some, I mean, you know, uh, I mean, I go through it as well, where there are just months and months where I'm just really, really productive. And then there are just months where I just don't, I'm not, you know, and it's really hard to maintain that. I find it difficult to maintain that consistency in, in a sustained way over, over, you know, a consistent period of time. I mean, it's very, I mean, it's, you know, some people can do it and that's great, but I think making stuff is always, you know, is important and just, yeah. and just putting it out there. And it's difficult. Uh, you know, everybody that is doing this tends to be doing it part-time in their spare time and they don't have that full commitment. They have day jobs that they're working on and it's able, it's hard to maintain that consistency when you're living that kind of life. You have different deadlines and different priorities that are coming your way. Um, when uh, Xanadu, was Xanadu next after? Uh, Xanadu was next, yeah, yeah. How big of a boost was it when Ben from Questing Beast had it reviewed? Like, were you surprised? Did you know that was coming? Uh, I, no, I didn't know that was coming. Um, I'm not sure how big of a boost. I don't, I, I don't think he was as big then as he is now. You know, I think back then he was, you know, uh, you know, I think he, you know, I think he definitely had an, an, an impact um but i i mean it definitely it, it it definitely kind of boosted it you know i i mean it definitely had a i mean it definitely nudged it you know it was just something that i think it, I, I think it was it was reviewed on the 10 foot pole blog yeah and it, and it got like a best kind of rating on that and i think that was uh that was um i think ben's ben's uh ben's review uh kind of re really gave it a lot of momentum but 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 i think the thing you know the thing that really gave it a lot of momentum and got it out there, because I I, I tend to undervalue my work. Um, I had it as pay as pay what you want, with a suggested uh, with a suggested um, price of one dollar on drive through RPG, and and that and that was that was like that for 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 kind of at least a year and a half. So well, I, so I think so I think that actually gave it the big boost. To be perfectly honest. I mean, because I just didn't know, I just didn't know what sort of price to put on it. I kind of thought, well, I kind of thought, well, who's going to pay like $9.99 for a PDF, you know, it's like, or $7.99. I just didn't really have that kind of confidence. Yeah. So that's what I actually did. I So so when that review came out that, um, that I think uh, that 
that Ten Foot Pole did, which you know, which I believe is a influential kind of blog. I mean, that's I saw all the downloads coming. I'd, I'd open up my email box and think, oh, another download, another download. There were hundreds of downloads, but but you know, it was because it was pay what you want. <laughs> you know, that's that's what I attribute part of its kind of success to, the fact that I just wasn't. I I was undervaluing what I was doing and. I was kind of a bit a bit scared to to kind of charge anything for it. Yeah. Well, I I actually had uh, Bryce as a guest on the show before, and he talked about uh, his criteria for uh, what he considers good adventures. So hats off to you that you were able to navigate Thanks. that because he's not always the kindest uh, to uh, some adventures. So great that you uh, made it through that. And then um, Nightland uh, was that mm -hmm. the next. For, uh, or... I think I think Aquilus Two was the next. Okay, one. so you circled back, and and this Aquilus is going to be a, like a, a series, and you're kickstarting number three, which we'll talk about shortly. Yeah. But mm -hmm. um, so do you, and also not to get too far ahead of myself, but like Dungeon, which mm -hmm. was one of our favorite. Uh, me and Logar had a uh, uh, year end oh, live stream, fun. and yeah. it was named as one that of our best right. products, and these kind of like uh volumes where it's like you know a version like it's like a magazine essentially it's like you mm, know mm, mm. dragon magazine and volume one two and three and i know that this one also says volume one on it is that kind of where you like to sit more as in like the, the the those kind of uh periodicals where it's like uh volume one two and three and or do you actually like singular adventures like uh, nightland uh look i mean to be honest i think i, I think what i really because I've been thinking about that. I've been thinking really deeply about wh what is it that I actually like, you know? Um, and that's just been a question that I've, I've sort of pondered now really quite seriously for the last six months. And I think where my heart is with, with RPGs, it's probably more in the periodical side. And, and I think the reason for that is, 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 is one thing that I've always had since I was, uh, you know, again, a teenager, it's, I've always had a deep love of magazines. You know, I've, I've always collected magazines, you know, and um, I mean, uh, you know, uh, 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 I mean, in Australia, I was the publishing director of a big art magazine there. So uh, so I've always had a love of magazines, you know, from, you know, things like Mad Magazine, for example. You know, I, 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 I've always loved, you know, I, I always loved buying magazines with which had staples on them, you know. And um, and I've always loved zines as well. That's just been that, that's been another thing that I've sort of loved because you know they're you know zines are kind zines are, zines are kind of finite. It's like forty eight pages max, and it just gives you some really good parameters to work with. And there's just a beautiful intimate size, and you you know you, you can you can kind of make an artifact out of it. And so I think um, I mean I actually I find adventures very difficult to write. To be honest, I mean that's I, I find them really really difficult to write. Like writing a dead. I mean I've I've worked on a on a standalone adventure uh, uh, for the last kind of year and a half, and I, I kind of canned it because I just couldn't I couldn't I, I found it really I just got got stuck you know, and I, I just couldn't sort of so I'm going to put it away for like for for a while. But I actually really love uh, I, I I actually really just really love doing periodicals. So, um, so, and, you know, the reason why with Aquilus is like, I can just kind of put stuff in there that doesn't really go together, you know, and it's all kind of cordoned off in its own kind of section with a title, with an artwork. And that's kind of what you get in a magazine, you know, like when you buy a magazine, 
there's lots of things in there, like, you know, the old Dragon magazines, you know, which I've always loved, or the White Dwarf magazines. You know, there's a letters page, there's a there's an intro, there's a character class, there's a monster, there's an article, there's something, you know, and, and it's just all yeah. kind of shoved in there un, un, under the banner of the cover. And I think I, I, I just really enjoy... I, I really enjoy periodicals. So 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 I think Aquilus is definitely something I'd like to continue. I mean, I've nearly nearly finished the fourth issue of that as well. Um, but you know, the art's gonna take quite quite a while to sort of commission. So that's that's probably, you know, six or six to twelve months off. But that's that's probably a direction that I definitely want to pursue. Um, and I, I like the adventure stuff, but I, I, I do honestly find that quite quite difficult. I find it difficult to write a, a coherent sort of uh, adventure. I mean, that's just, you know, there, there are people out there that are, that are much, much better than me at it that I really admire and uh, and I find it difficult to get to, to, to their kind of, to, to their levels. And maybe that's a good time to bring in uh, discussing Nightland. I mean, it was such evocative art. I did a, uh, a review of it as part of my Halloween month. Uh, I'll link to that uh, up above for those that want to see it. But um, when you approach it, I mean, and you talked about uh, the the design of the maps and the artwork. I, I mean, I just love this map. I just like it. Just kind of yeah. scratches that kind of itch uh, for me. Again, too, the art the artist who did that amazing map was the same artist that designed my logo. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He designed when, the singing frame logo. So. And when you talk about your appendix, and one of the things I really appreciated about all your um, zines that you put out is that you really go into detail about your kind of personal influences when you're making mm -hmm. the product. Um, and that speaks to your background as far as like, you know, growing up and your likes and, and that kind of thing. But the weird fantasy setting and the OSR, when did you kind of transition? Like I mean, you were playing DCC. And then when did OSR hit for you? And especially old school essentials, because we're going to talk about uh, Dolmenwood also that you're doing some of the art direction layout for. Um, and when did OSE kind of take on uh, your kind of, I guess, preferred system of choice? Um, I think I would say, I, I think it would have been in probably about... Uh, I think it probably became my preferred system of choice I think a couple of years ago. And again, too, that was, I mean, that was on such a trajectory, you know, that, that system that it was kind of unavoidable. And what, what I did is when I actually went back to, um, when I went back to, to, when I came back into the hobby with DCC, I mean, one of the things that it did, of course, was, um, was, uh, uh, put me back to the original things that I, 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 was into but which books i never had you know which books i didn't have any longer so so you know so what i did is i bought all of those i rebought repurchased all of those original um uh you know th th those original rules texts like the moldvay you know basic expert sort of books and i bought you know the um i bought uh i think reprints of of, of, of the player's handbook and the dm's guide and when i read osa uh i thought this is so great. This is just like, this is so clear, you know, it's, it, you know, it's so clear and there's just no ambiguity in these rules. It's so, it's so clear and so concise. It's such a, it's such a fantastic rearticulation of, 
you know, uh, the rules that I really loved, uh, you know, when I was growing up, that it was just a, it was just, I was just sold on it straight away, you know, and I, I, I found it in terms of writing, I found it just much easier to write for, you know, I found it much, much easier to write for uh, because, because I'd read so many of the, um, you know, the old kind of D&D adventures and, you know, you know, I was so familiar with the stat blocks and all, all this kind of stuff that I, I, I just found, I just found OSC just a much easier system to write for than, um, than, than DCC. And also too, that there was, you know, there, there was also a, a, a writing style of the adventures, which, which, you, you know, which I think appears in Xanadu and I think certainly appears in Dungeon, that there was, you know, there was a particular kind of way to describe areas like in a dungeon, you know, you know, with the bullet points and the bold and all that kind of stuff. And that's, that's not something that you see in DCC very much. I mean, DCC is very kind of, uh, it's almost very purple prose laden kind of descriptions. Whereas, uh, you know, whereas OSC descriptions are a bit more kind of clinical, if you like. And I, I just found that because, you know, one of my strengths is, I mean, I'm not a great writer. Uh, so it just suited me to sort of think, oh, well, I can write adventures now because I've got this kind of template, you know, to kind of work with. Because I, I, I found writing in the DCC style, which, you know, which, which is very, you know, it's very rich and almost very Baroque kind of writing. I think, oh, well, I, I just don't have the skills to do that, mm -hmm. you know. I admire it, but I don't have the skills myself to kind of like, you know, to use tons and tons of adjectives and things like that. So I thought, yes, you know, OSE is great because it's like here are these, uh, you know, single words or a couple of word descriptions, and you know, it's elaborated on on bullet points. So, so, so that's that's one of the reasons why I sort of, you know, kind of moved over to OSE because I just thought that it was just uh, it, it it you know. Uh, the adventures, the early adventures that Gavin wrote, like showed me that I could, you know, not be a great writer, but I can still write adventures because here's like a template of how to do it with a, an economy of words. And when did you connect with Gavin about uh, Dolmenwood? And for those that don't know about Dolmenwood, uh, that's Gavin's uh, home world that uh, he leaks out and shares via uh, his Patreon. And I know that. It's a highly anticipated um, release. And how did you get involved as far as um, doing the uh, overall design and layout? Yeah, so what happened is uh, uh, Gavin uh, approached me after seeing Xanadu. He, he really uh, enjoyed the, the layout on that. And, um, and uh, uh, he asked me to get involved with Dolmenwood in terms of the, uh, you know, the visual design aspect. So what what I did for that was was essentially establish a lot of the typographical hierarchies uh, in, in the book. So 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 you know uh, Gavin had Gavin does the layout. He I think he, he actually writes Dolman Wood within the layout itself, and he'd kind of you know he, he'd established a a, a a layout already. You know if you're a Patreon supporter of Dolman Wood, if you go back to the early early Patreon releases, you can you can actually see. Uh, what Dolman would look like before I got involved. So, uh, so what I did was, you know, cho choose all, you know, select all the typefaces, make sure that they work together, um, do all that kind of thing. So, so, so I'm, I'm not fully doing the layout, but it, but, but, but I suppose um, it's, it's, you know, the look of Dolman would, if you like the look of, 
you know, the look of it was something that I had a hand in. But what what I do uh, now for Gavin is uh, I, I do do uh, art direction and layout work for some, some, you know, for I'm doing some art direction and layout work for some up, up and coming adventures for about eight of them. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so there are, there are a couple of anthologies coming out mm -hmm. um, and I'm doing, you know, the, you know, the actual layout and, and all the art direction for those, which, you know, which is something that I actually really enjoy. I mean, to, to actually, you know, to actually, uh, you know, one thing I've, I've, I've realized that I really enjoy is to, is to actually do the layout for RPG books that aren't mine. <laughs> you know? It's something that I actually really enjoy. It feels kind of refreshing and it just feels like that you know there's not you know it just doesn't feel like there's so much pressure you know because when you're doing your own layout and your own writing and everything it's like it's it's quite intense but to actually have a breather and to, to have someone else that's done the writing and you actually just have to figure out how to kind of structure it in terms of um you know how the information design is structured that's something that i've actually really really enjoyed and you know so, you know something that i hope that i can get to do a bit more of as well cool you know, and this work and going back to like me, uh, my background too, like information design, graphic design, and that kind of stuff. So I really, when I see it work, it's it feels so nice to see and read it in your book, and you just go, oh, I just love the way this is laid out. And I would say, if anything, OSE might be a little bit too sterile, and I really like kind of the balance with uh, a lot of your products that kind of mix it a little bit more up with the DCC kind of vibe. So it's kind of like that nice balance, but. Uh, not to say I don't like OSE, it's an amazing product. And I'm sure that Kickstarter is going to be massive, massive when it goes out, I, I predict. I think it's going to be pretty big, yeah. Yeah, I think a lot, a, lot, a lot of people are waiting for it. And I think just back to, you know, you know, I think, you know, something that, um, you know, I've learned about, you know, you know, one thing that I, I think about a lot is like, you know, what's, what's, what's the best way to write uh, what's the best way to do adventure design? Like what's the best way to, to describe like, you know, a room and its contents. And I think the answer that I've come to is that there's no best way, you know, you know, it, it's always, you know, you'll always be questioning, you know, you'll always be thinking like, is there a better way to actually do this? You know, it's, it's like, if I'm writing an adventure, you know, should I use bolded words and bullet points or shouldn't I, you know, should I have it in a more conversational style? Should I, you know, and that's just, I, I don't think there's an answer to that, you know. Yeah, probably. I, the, I, I don't. I, I don't really think there is a best way to ride an adventure. Yeah, know? I was going to say probably the answer is it depends, right? Like it depends. It yeah, depends, right? Um, and speaking of kickstarters, you have one out right now. And how stressful is Kickstarter kickstarting for you? Because I mean, I I've only done one for uh, like a film that I did, and I found it super stressful. Uh, do you? How do you approach it as far as? Um, I think. Look, I mean, it's it's certainly quite a bit of work to get all the sort of copy ready to put up to put up on, on the campaign page. Like to actually write everything, you know, really takes quite a while. Like, I mean, it took me a couple of months, you know, just kind of you know doing bits here and there and sort of figuring it all out. Like, look, I mean, it is stressful. Um, I yeah, but look, I I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I found this Kickstarter stressful because I, 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 I mean, one of the things to not make it stressful is that uh, the, the entirety of my current Kickstarter is entirely written. So it's entirely written. So the only things that I have to do is commission like a few more sort of pieces of art. And I've given myself a few months to do that. 
So I think to make it really stressful, and I do see some Kickstarters do this, is where they have, you know, 10% written and they kind of say like, mm -hmm. uh, this is the Kickstarter and we'll deliver in, you know, we'll deliver in 18 months time, but nothing is written. I, 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 I would not do that. You know, <laughs> I actually like to have everything actually written and then to do the Kickstarter, you know, which is what I did for Dungeon, you know, um, which, which, is a, which is a Kickstarter that I did last year in February as, you know, part of Zine Month. And, um, and that, that actually, you know, that, I mean, it took six months to get all the, the art because I'd commissioned no art at all. Uh, but I think to, you know, the answer is it, it could be more stressful if I hadn't sort of finished the writing. Yeah. And that's kind of like, uh, I mean, a lot of people have taken that approach. Kevin Crawford in particular, I've noted like his is already done and similar to yours. It's like done. And it's just like, you can get the PDF as soon as it's kind of done backing. Oh, he, he's, he's a machine. He is a machine. He's, he's just a machine. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. Um, and uh, so, it's yeah, it's, as soon as you get over that six month period, I'm kind of like, well, why did you go to Kickstarter yet? Yeah. But, yeah. And, 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 and I think the other thing with Kickstarter too, is like, I mean, my, my very modest zine that's up there now, I mean, it, it's literally just a staple bound book. I mean, there's nothing like I'm not doing leather bound editions. I'm not doing dice. I'm not doing miniatures, you know, it's, it's kind of, so I think, I, I think it would be more stressful if you had a lot more things that you wanted to do, you know? Um, so, and so I, I, I can see how, you know, some of these bigger Kickstarters, which have, you know, really elaborate kind of stretch goals and, you know, you know, things that they're really, you know, expanding things out with boxes. I can imagine how that would be stressful because, you know, uh, as a creator, I mean, obviously, you, you know, you want to get funded. Um, so I, I can see how a Kickstarter would be stressful, but I think the two that I've done so far have been very, very low stress simply because they're, they're essentially, I mean, I'm offering, you know, uh, modest periodicals. Like I'm not, I, I, I haven't gone down that route yet where, you know, to do like a hardcover and, or to do a slipcase or anything like that, which I'd, I'd like to do at some point, but, 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 but not right now, not yet anyway. The box set, right? Wait for the box set. Wait for the box set. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wait, for, wait for the Aquilus box set with all the, with, with the dice. Quick question for you. Do you still use Vixam or have you found like a local printer in New York? No, 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 no. I mean, I, I, I actually still use Mixam. I, I actually still use Mixam. I mean, I, 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 I do have a project for, you know, for just back to a hardcover for, for something that, um, uh, you know, for something that I'd like to do in, you know, probably the next 24 months, which is, which is a hardcover book of something. And I have researched printers to, I don't think Mixam are kind of capable of, or they probably are, but I, but, you know, I, I haven't uh, looked at them, but I, but I, but I've looked at some other printers that other, other publishers have used, but, but, but so far it's just been Mixam. I, I, I just, I, I don't think there are any sort of local publishers and if they were in the New York area, they'd be much more expensive than Mixam. And I have to ask you a question. So we've, I've got Nightland here and in size comparison. Yeah. Oh, I'm trying to hold it up. How come a uh, dungeon you went with a slightly smaller size? Ah, well, there's a reason for that um, because uh, dungeon is risographically printed. That's that's printed using a risographic printer, which yep. is just a really, which is a really, really stunning, stunning printing process. So, what a Risso machine is a Risso is a Japanese photocopier, 
and plates are made for, for each solid color. So it almost prints, it, it, the color prints solidly, almost like a screen print. Yeah. And the, the reason why uh, is because, because it's done essentially on a photocopier, the optimum size for printing, um, the optimum flat size is 16 by 10 inches. And so half of that folded is eight by five. Okay. And so, 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 I mean, that's the reason why. That's the reason why. So the other size of uh, the mixum size is A5, which I think is 8.3 by 5.8 inches. And you cannot print, uh, I don't believe you can print uh, a risographic book at that size. Yeah. So, well, so, 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 I mean, that's the reason. Yeah, yeah I that, didn't know that. That's the reason. Yeah, so, so so I think if you ever see um, if you ever see uh, other other risographically printed zines uh, out in the wild by other creators, uh, you know, like at zine fairs or book fairs or whatever, you, you'll find that the standard size that most people are printing at is the size that I printed at, which is eight by five. I actually really like it. I mean, I actually like the sort of, I actually like uh, the kind of artifact nature of it. Because it's you know it's 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 slightly slim, yeah. And um and and look that that was the constraint. And to be uh I I, I actually really enjoy working with constraints. I really really liked it when the printer said, "This is the maximum size we can print at." And I said, "Great." <laughs> and I said, "That that'll that, that's that's basically going to have an impact on the design and the layout, which I would not have done otherwise without you giving me this limitation. And I, I really enjoy working with limitations. It's just something that, at, at, you know, you probably know as a designer that limitations are very important. Yeah, for they, sure. They actually, they, they actually uh, spark off sometimes your best ideas and, you know, they, they can make, uh, you know, whatever you're doing going to a very unexpected but very rewarding direction. Yeah, nothing is scarier than a blank canvas that you can nothing do absolutely than a blank anything. Canvas. No, no. Yeah. Well, I I just want to say uh, love your love your work. It's uh, great stuff. Uh, what so what is you. coming next? Uh, well, um, I'm working on. Uh, well, I've got Dungeon Issue Two coming next. That's that, that's that's uh, that's kind of it's probably about seventy percent written. Um, and I, I got a lot of feedback off dungeon on, on, on dungeon one, and there are some great ideas, great, great sort of, uh, great, great comments people made, which I'll incorporate into the second issue, just in terms of, you know, some of the writing and some of the layout. So, so that's coming, that's coming up and, um, I'm working on, uh, Aquilus issue four, which is, which is actually almost completed. Um. And I think they're the two. And uh, oh, another thing that I've got coming up, which is which is a very quirky thing, which is uh, which is pretty much the writing's completed, and I'm just waiting on uh, one final piece of artwork. Uh, is a supplement of uh, using uh, superhero abilities in fantasy role-playing games. Oh, interesting. And um, and 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 that was a uh, that was a. Uh, I was at a con and I played, uh, I played a D and D game, a basic D and D game with, you know, his name slips my mind, but he's 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 very famous. He 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 drew the cover of Isle of Dread for TSR, 
and he also wrote the original Villains and Vigilantes. And um, his name just slips my mind, unfortunately, but hopefully uh, the viewers can, can, can look him up. But he ran a fantastic uh, basic D&D game at a con a few years ago where he gave every, 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 uh, every character a minor superpower, you know, like they were a band yeah. of superheroes, but, you know, they were, they were adventurers. And I thought, what a fantastic idea, you know, what, what, a, what, a, what a cool and quirky idea. So what I, what, what I did is over the last um, year, I've, I've written kind of a supplement of how to, how to give characters, you know, not game-breaking, but how to give them minor sort of flavorful superpowers. So what I did is I, I went back through the entire history of comic books and researched kind of every kind of superpower that I could find. And I think I came up with about 300. Wow. And I've kind of incorporated them all into this uh, into this supplement. So that that's something that'll that will. Uh, I'm not sure what I'll do with that. I, I don't know if I'll kickstart it. I might just release it into kind of the wild because I'm not. I'm really not sure what the audience will be like for something like that. But it it has some fantastic art done by one artist called Ken Landgraf, who who was a comic book artist who worked for Marvel uh, Comics and also did his own superhero line. So that's that's just something that. You know, it's been on the back burner, but uh, but it's something that I'll that that's that's finished and due to be released at some point. So 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 they might they're the three main things, and then I have some other things which I which I'm working on as well. But what I, what I've tried to do uh, over the last six months is just limit myself to not not trying to do too many things at once and just focus in on two things because I because at one point I was working on like five or six things and they weren't going anywhere. Are you, um, you know, not to pry too much, but are you able to do this as a full-time gig now or do you still have no, your day job? No, 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 no. I still have my day job. But, you know, it's, it, you know, it's something that I spend, uh, you know, I spend my nights kind of, uh, you know, I spend, I spend my, you know, I spend, a lot, you know, some of my nights kind of doing this. So, you know, I just, you know, turn up home, you know, draw the curtains, listen to music, and kind of uh, and and uh, and try and sort of you know you know try and do something almost every day, it, even if it's not writing. You know, even if it's like maintaining my website or doing you know researching layout design and tricks or you know looking at fonts. I'm always <clears throat> I'm always you know trying to be productive and to do something, even if it's not necessarily like punching in words into a keyboard. So, so that's, that's kind of a, yeah, I mean, that's what I do. I'm always, always trying to do something. So on, on a daily basis, whether it's, you know, 30 minutes or whether it's, you know, I'm lucky to be able to do like a few hours on it. Would, would you ideally love to do this full time or does it take I, away I, from the, uh, the, the, for the fun of it? No, it doesn't take away from the fun of it. And I think I, you know, I think uh, I've, I've actually thought about, you know, how I would do this full time. And, um, and, and, and I think the only kind of solution that I've sort of come up with to, to be able to do it full time was, would be to commission a lot of work by other writers to, to actually commission, you know, to do it under my publishing imprint and put, you know, the singing flame imprimatur on it and presentation and, you know, to, to put that kind of that kind of brand to it, if you like. But it would mean like actually like, like going to different writers and, and having a number of things on the go at once. And, and, and that's just, and that's another kind of a project. 
Yeah. You know, that, that you know, that's when you become kind of a publisher as opposed to kind of like an auteur, kind of one person kind of doing everything. And so so that's 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 probably um I mean, I think some one person creators out there can can do it uh full time. I, I probably don't think I can. Um, but I think, you know, if if I was to go into more of a publishing role and you know, you know, because that's what that's what some of the bigger publishers seem to do. You know, like you know, I mean, when you look at like back to DCC, I mean, uh, Joseph Goodman's not writing and designing everything. You know, you know, he's got like a whole band of writers. There's a tone. There's a sensibility to to, to the entire thing, and you know, they're, they're they're probably working on six or eight things at at one time, if not more. And I think that that's the way that, you know, that's, that's probably one way to do it would mean kind of scaling up. And that's, look, that's not, not out of the question, but I think it, but I think for me, it would be, uh, you know, just figuring out the exact tone of what it is that you want to put out there. You know, it's like, you know, if, if you sort of become a bigger publishing sort of uh, become a bigger publisher, like, what do you do? You know, do you make your own system up? Do you, do you just do things for OSA or do you start doing things for other popular systems like Mothership and Morkborg? And, you know, there's just all of these sort of questions, you know, that you have to sort of, that you have to answer before, before doing that. So I'm, you know, again, too, it's, it's, it's not out of the question. It would be just finding that kind of niche where, you know, uh, it, it would be just as interesting for me as it would for, the audience and the people that you bring on board. So, so, so we'll see, we'll see. I mean, cool, publishing cool. is great. I mean, it's, it's, you know, making, making books is, is uh, that people enjoy is a really beautiful thing. Yeah. And I'm uh, probably, you're probably younger than me, but uh, ultimately I love the old print magazines and I used to go down and buy my dragon magazine from the bookstore and it was an experience and flipping through it and all the zines that have come from the OSR era. Uh, you know, it's a golden age, I think, of uh, game design. Yeah, I, I think it is now, you know, and I think, uh, you know, a lot of the things that, uh, you know, there's just so much innovation that uh, there's so much innovation and creativity that I see. I, I think out of all of the, you know, uh, you know, I mean, I'm interested in, you know, popular, you know, all kinds of popular culture, but I, I see what's coming out of, you know, people in, in OSR book publishing, I mean, I, I, I just get really ignited by it. I think, God, you know, there's just so many great ideas, so many great books, you know, such, so many great artists. It's, it really is. I mean, it's really great that people are, I, I just think it's fantastic that, uh, that, uh, that it seems to be sort of growing, you know, the hobby seems to, it, it's not diminishing. There aren't less people playing games. There's just more people playing games and there's more great stuff coming out. And, uh, and that's kind of, you know, that's a real, that's a real joy to see. Well, your stuff has definitely added to the uh, fabric of the community. And I think it's just been just amazing that you've been able to produce what you've done in the last two years. And I look forward to seeing uh, a lot more much. from you in the future. Thank you. So uh, Vasily, uh, thank you for coming on the show. Thank, thank very much appreciate me. it. Really, I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much.